University of Texas at Austin is filled with incredible people who do amazing things for our community. Make Me Love What You Do is a chance to hear some of their funny, moving, and surprising stories. There are certain things in our day-to-day -day lives that we tend to take for granted. Certain things that we may not fully realize everything that goes into ensuring that it all works the way it should. And if we're lucky, we never fully realize how much is on the line if it doesn't work right. In this episode of Make Me Love What You Do, you'll hear the interesting story of the Costa brothers, Michael and Richard, who spend their days here at UT working on locks and keys. Michael, Richard, make me love what you do. I should make clear here because this is going to be a podcast, right? And uh, you guys are not only brothers, but you're twins. But I'm going to go on a limb and say fraternal twins. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> very much so. Because you, you, you wouldn't even know your brothers, really, right? <laughs> no. Not, not ever. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up. <laughs> um, well, let's see, I was always the bigger brother, even though he's the older brother. So I was always <laughs> bigger than him. I've always, I mean, at one point in time, I was like nine inches taller than him, but I was always the nice guy everywhere. And it was just, we were totally opposites. You know, he had the nice penmanship Everybody liked him, even though I was a nice guy. It's like we were like totally opposite of who we had for friends and everything else. And we were competitive in everything we did. I mean, we couldn't even play a game of chess without getting into a fight. But if anybody tried teaming up against us, then we were on the same side. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened? I mean, when you now you guys get along well you work together you see each other all the time just just grew up or what yeah basically i think um i left when mm -hmm. shoot i think i was 16 17 is when i left because i left to go to a tech school then i came back for a couple months and then left to join the army so i was just gone and didn't have much communication with my family at all until i had a divorce in virginia and decided to move back to the West Coast to help my family out with the locksmith shop. And we got along then for a little bit. And then once we got into the basically the same line of work where we could talk about the same things, we just started getting along a lot more. Okay. So locks was the family business. That's how you guys, so you got interested in it early on in your lives. Who, what was it? Uh, I mean, what, when we say family business, what, what does that mean? Like who was doing it and what were you doing? Um, uh, stepfather and mom. Okay. Independent, just small business. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Very small. Yeah, I'll let Richard tell that one. You want to tell that one? All right. So the first locksmith shop was a foot was the size of a photo booth or a photo mat in the center of a parking lot in a small town called Rio Linda, California. And they did tons of stuff out of that shop, notaries, photocopies, shipping for UPS and FedEx. They were a drop-off location for that. What was the name of the, the locks and the shops? The key shop. The key shop. Yep. Kind of like, enough. oh, if you look at the sign out in front of locks and keys, yep. there's keys. 
That's Lots all it says. Yeah. Keys. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So that's how I got the moniker Key Man. Yeah. Um, we actually had a key that looked like you know, I had legs and hands and everything, and that was my symbol for my shop. So, which created my email, Key Man. So. Gotcha. So, what did you do in the army? I was in the infantry, but I spent most of my time with the old guard at Fort Myer, Virginia, mm-hmm. doing military funerals and ceremonies. I've yep. done over three thousand military funerals and twenty-one children funerals. Well, children, baby dependents. So, right. Uh-huh. Yeah, done a lot of funerals. Yeah. All right. So let's hear from from you, Michael. Uh, tell us a little bit about. Um, well, let's start from your, you know, kind of respond to what Richard was saying about growing up and getting into the business from your perspective, like, what was it like in the, in that family business? Sure. When, uh, when I came into the family business to help him out, my mindset wasn't to go into locksmithing. Um, I always liked management. I always liked, uh, building a team and, uh, having, a regardless what it be in vocational consulting, movie industry, uh, with the theater. But uh, I saw an opportunity to be a business owner. One-stop shopping. The, the, the people that work from home or their spouses work and they are watching the kids, they can come in here and get their business services, see these locks and safes. You can do their re-king and, uh, and offer mobile locksmith, mobile notary service. So it's all stopped. So basically someone split up. We can sign the divorce papers. <laughs> Locked. You know, it was a good business concept. Um, and so I took that when Richard said there was an opportunity out here in Texas uh, in 2011, I got a job at Texas State down the road. And, uh, and it was kind of neat there because they gave me the ability to manage the shop with little oversight under the university police. So we got to do everything from uh, servicing the locks, uh, access control, call phones, cameras. So I got to learn a lot um, of all the security industries under one umbrella. And so uh, it was nice to come up here because I can focus on what I liked the most, and that was a uh, um, key system. All right. So this is, you, you both, you know, are coming at this, you have this sort of small business or entrepreneurial, you know, mindset, uh, and you have a very different approach. And I think that's interesting because I think a lot of people don't realize how important it is to apply that mindset in a huge institution like UT, but you, you come at this in a very innovative way. Is that right? Oh yeah. Yeah. We treat it like it's our own business. Well, I remember you, both of your projects for the Leadership Growth Program. Well, see, because the university has many different types of door hardware. Now, most people will look at a door hardware and don't realize how many different manufacturers there are. And the university had, at that time, eight different hardware manufacturers on campus, which means eight different types of products for all of the maintenance personnel to try and remember. They just can't remember all that. My whole plan is let's get it down to two brands of hardware, two major manufacturers, the two biggest ones in the world. Let's keep it simple so that when it comes to planning a building, when it comes to designing a building, when it comes to maintaining a building, everybody knows, okay, it's either this or this, and that's it. 
We don't have to guess. This is your option. You get option A or option B. We went with the two biggest manufacturers, Asa Abloy and Allegion. It's like, that's who we want. And we're both familiar with them. We've both talked to the manufacturers. I've actually been to the manufacturer in Connecticut for Asa Abloy. Tell me about that. All right. So I was trying to do a project for Maine, the main building for their antique escutcheon trips, uh, escutcheon trim for around their levers. And I, when I pulled some off, I noticed they had sergeant written on the back and a part number. So I spoke with my local rep and said, I want sergeant to make these for me. And they weren't sure if they could or not. So I was like, well, let's go talk to them. So they had been trying to get me back to the factory anyways to talk to them about other stuff with their hardware. So I went back. I had a meeting with, shoot, I think seven of their engineers, a couple directors. We went over the escutcheon trims, what we wanted, how we wanted them to be. And they were going to do it, make some templates for me. And then when I came back, of course, I was going to have to go. Through, I had to go through trademarking, licensing, all kinds of stuff just to get the UT seal approved on them. Okay. But while I was there, I was talking to them about other hardware issues and some of the stuff I see with other manufacturers that I don't see with them. And I, me and one of their engineers butted heads because he just thought their stuff was perfect until I showed them an issue that they were having. And we actually went to the desk where this one part was being made and put together and showed them what they were doing wrong and haven't had that issue since then. But I've, I've had that with uh, with a couple of manufacturers in the past. They, When I have an issue with something and they find out, oh, we've had this issue other places, just people aren't saying it, and we get it corrected. And right now, Sargent is trying to redesign one of their parts so that we don't have as many issues with it like a lot of people do in the field. And trying to make it where it's easier maintenance-wise and installation-wise. for That way they can actually reach up to the top of the market again and not start falling down where they, what they like they have been. Well, so you got you to gotta speak up <laughs> yes. if you want to, if you see a problem. Well, I had, I had a, a mortise lock that we were having. I had five failures in a year on the same type of lock. And I started noticing on all these locks, they had a date stamp on them. Well, found out that at the Sergeant factory, there was a five-month period. They had a machine that wasn't calibrated right, and it was causing an issue. Well, they had a problem at a high school down in Florida, and then they had another problem in Georgia, and they just thought it was isolated. Well, I found out it wasn't isolated, that I had three different buildings that had all these same type, you know, the locks that were manufactured during that time. So I got with Sergeant. I was like, well, here's what I want. I don't want this issue to happen again. So I want you guys to replace every lock and all three of those buildings that were fat that we had go up during that time. And they did. Hmm. We did an inspection. We checked every door. Everyone that had a timestamp leading from, I think it was from March to October, had them replace every single mortise lock. And it ended up being about 1,500 locks. So, Michael, tell me a little bit about your uh, leadership growth program project. Uh, you know, where is it? It was also a very exciting idea that you had to, in a lot of ways, change in the way that UT does business. Right. So the concept was uh, back in the day when it was a smaller campus, uh, buildings would have key boxes that had all the keys in them and whoever would just go in there and unlock it with a key and grab what they want. Um, with 
times changing and more people being here, they realized that that couldn't be done anymore. So the keys went to the shops where they were inside the shops where departments could keep them out at the uh, in the department level. So it really made hard for servicing uh, buildings and keeping the keys secure. So the whole idea was strategically place 100 electrified secured key boxes within a building or a set of buildings to where all first responders, um, service providers, contractors to get those keys and leave their name behind to where anybody that is uh, managing that system knows who has the keys when they were there and accessing their spaces. So it would give not only the building manager or security the ability to see who was in the building, but it would also notify the person getting the key that they had time limits. And if they forgot to return the key, it would call them or text them. So it was really innovative uh, making it faster for service providers and first responders to access the space. The keys were right there at the building and they would just have to card into the building, card into the secured room and card into the uh, box with a personal ID code to get the keys they needed to provide the service uh, that they were sent there for. So that was the long and short. So tell us a little bit about master keys. I don't think most people at UT probably don't understand the gravity of master keys and this idea of some people walking around with keys that for all intents and purposes, uh, it's a lot of money on one key on one key ring. Right. And that was another big aspect. So t tell people, I mean, you can give some ballpark dollar figures about what it costs to replace master keys like that. Oh, sure. So uh, there's, there's different level of master keys, but we'll just say that the, uh, a building master or a brand master that opens up everything within a building uh, on an average size building to, uh, if that key was lost to change out every lock within the building could be in excess of $30,000. Um, for, one, for one key. For one key, lost. yeah. So if someone was like at a, uh, we can use the school of law. There's three buildings there. So if they, if they had one key or they carried all three brand masters for each building and was to lose it, um, they're looking at close to a hundred thousand dollars in reeking that complex. Uh, now, some people might ask, well, then why do you have a grant? Why even have a master or a grand master key? Right. So you have certain individuals like, uh, let's say the internal IT department that has to service every computer within every space, uh, first responders, police, fire, custodial services. You don't want them to carry um, every key. I mean, there are some buildings up here where um, people got pretty, I don't know, I want to say keep things private to where no one could get in their space, not even uh the department next door or the service industries, but they wanted custodial to clean. So custodial is carrying anywhere from 20 to 80 keys at any given time just to service one building. And so we're trying to get away from that um, with those local key boxes and, um, and uh, other means to, to where maybe UPD would only like to carry five keys for that building. You know, it's a, it's a first responder nightmare. One thing I, I think people probably don't realize, and especially after hearing these stories, is how much problem solving 
goes on. So troubleshooting is a big thing. And I've tried to teach a lot of people about troubleshooting, but some people just, they only want to concentrate on what the work order says because that's what they're there to fix. What do you think is going on there? I mean, I, you know, I certainly see that with other jobs and other people where there just isn't an interest in thinking critically about something. Yeah, I think more if they had more pride in what they did or they looked at their job as, okay, this is my job. Everything I do reflects on me. Then they might look at things differently. But a lot of people, you know, a lot of people just care about getting a paycheck and doing what the minimal they have to do to get by, to get through the day. You'll see a lot of people, I mean, they'll tell you, yes, I like my job, but they don't love their job. They're not extremely happy with what they do. They're just working to work. See, I love what I do. And a lot of people don't understand why I love what I do because it's, it's just doors. But I look, I mean, I love working on locks. I love working on puzzles. I love working on anything and designing, arc, you know, the architect side of it, designing an opening that somebody's never seen before. Just anytime I get a chance to do stuff like that, I love doing it. It's like working on a complex logic problem all day long. I mean, you gotta, you really have to sort of stay on your toes and have a sharp mind at all times. Yes. We had a meeting the other day. It's one door on a new project out of pickle. And the client's like, well, I want to be able to do this, this, and this. I'm like, well, you can do this or this or this, but you can't do this, this, and this. And they're like, well, why? It's like, because that's a new door on the exterior building. It has to meet our minimum security requirements. And because it's an exterior door, I cannot allow you key access. So do you want a card reader or do you want to just schedule it and have it locked at night and nobody come through it? Oh, okay. You know, another interesting thing is that when I hear you describing it, I'm sort of reminded of, you know, the logic that is involved with computer programming or, you know, if-else equations, mm -hmm. because you have to really think about um, if this happens, then this won't happen or vice versa. There's just so many moving parts that you have to keep track of in your mind all at once. Oh, yeah. And there's some places on campus we have what's called a man trap. And that doesn't the, sound good. Well, the, it's it's on purpose. It's a it's where if you swipe your card to go through one door and it's a small vestibule and there's a door on the other side. Well, that door will not open until the door you just came through is closed and secured. And it's to make sure that the space either doesn't get contaminated or for security so that nobody follows you into that other space. Right. So you can't just like, leave like the door at, Like at a jewelry, they don't have those like at a jewelry store, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's that's really interesting to think about how people don't appreciate um, what's happening behind the scenes and how much is being done uh, on the operational side. I, I do want to kind of point out that, you know, the building itself locks and keys. It's uh, it's sort of a, a poignant building, right? Because it, it people are visiting that building at very pivotal moments in their life. For for people like me who have been here twenty years, they go. The first thing they would have to do is go to that little building and get their key. Sure. And then, of course, on the other end of that is when you're it's time to move on and you're separating from the university. 
and you have to turn in your keys. But there are also points in between where you may or maybe you're moving to different positions. And it's a really, um, you know, kind of a, a, a special space in that way. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's neat to hear people's stories, uh, uh, new hires, transfers, people getting promotions, um, uh, especially the, the look on their face when they're looking forward to retirement. And it's one of the last things on their bucket list to do yeah. before they, they step off the campus. So, yeah, we, it's, it's, I, I can never resist to have my door open. And when I hear someone saying, yeah, I'm retiring, I have to run out there and talk to them. I, I, I just can't resist. <laughs> any, any people kind of getting choked up at that, at that point? Oh, some of them do. Some of them, uh, uh, just, they don't know what their next move is. They didn't, they, they just, this was their, uh, for some of them, this was their life and <laughs> this is what they love the most. Uh, so, uh, I'm looking forward. There's a gentleman out here on campus that's been here for 50 years. And uh, I always scare my staff by saying, like, yeah, when he returns his keys, uh, you're going to be assigned to it. <laughs> because, and I'm, I'm waiting for that day just to see what his next uh, uh, move is, where he's going to yeah. go. Yeah, gonna that's be. great. Um, okay, so, Richard, a lot of people, maybe even people that you work with, don't know that you're a, a, a pretty darn good public speaker. That's what I've been told. <laughs> so how did you come, how did that come to pass? You know, you're a, a locks and keys guy, but you are a, a, a very good, when you get up in front of an audience, it looks like you've been doing it for a, a long time. Well, believe it or not, I'm actually a very shy person. I used to hate getting in front of crowds. And when I was in Oregon, I had a friend who needed some help with a play. Needed somebody to come up and play just a small part. And I offered to help him out. During that show, there was a part, one of the lead actors quit. And they wanted somebody to, and it was a musical. It was Chicago. Mm -hmm. And they needed somebody to play Mr. Cellophane. So they asked me if I could sing. I said, well, yeah. And I sang him a song. And then next thing you know, I had two weeks to learn every line, every song, and then I had to do my part, some of the songs, in front of the curtain by myself. So that was my very first time on stage ever. And I got used to it. And I did seven other shows after that. And then when I got here to UT, they had a class called the Speakers Bureau. Mm -hmm. And it was to help people get over their fear of public speaking, learn different things, learn to not use as many filler words when they're talking. Mm -hmm. So I took that course. And afterwards, I became an ambassador for that course, and I was constantly helping people when they were going through the course. I would be a mentor and help them and talk to them about how to go through, how to speak in public, how to not use the filler words, how to think about what you're saying and pausing. So I got more and more into it, and now I just have no problem talking to people, you know, getting out in front and giving a presentation because I've done several of them now. And it's just teaching yourself how to do it. I just wish they still had that speaker bureaus class. I thought that was a really good class for a lot of people to take. Yeah, I, I agree. That would be nice to see something like that uh, formalized for staff and, you know, I guess for anybody, students, faculty. Of course, at our leadership growth program, we spend a lot of time on public speaking, but you'd want to have some 
a program where you don't have to go through a whole leadership growth program to do it. Just focus on the presentation side of it. Right. And this, at the end of that program that we had, you did a 10 minute presentation. And you would go over it over. You would practice your presentation in front of the group. You would get pointers on what you did right, what you what you may be able to change. And everybody hated it when I was one of the judges for those things because I would sit there with a red pen and a green pen, knowing that they shouldn't be paying attention to me at all. But they knew if I pulled up the red pen, I was more likely making a note with filler words and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I think they finally got the hang of it after a while and saw that I never used the green pen. I was always using the <laughs> pen just to, just to get them nervous. How much of your job do you think you spend on just learning, learning, you know, about doors, about locks? What kind of percentage do you think is uh, learning? 98% of the stuff I know now, I've learned it's just since being here working the, over the past 13 years. Now, because most of the stuff that we have here, I didn't work on before. More, you know, commercial hardware and stuff like that. It's more residential and automotive. But that's why I like with the Door Hardware Institute, with Locksmith, um, Locksmith Ledger, or the uh, Locksmiths of America organization. There's always so much stuff coming out, and then there's a website called IDIG Hardware, and Lori Green, the one that writes that, she always has new information, new code information, or just pictures of things gone wrong, uh, stuff people find all over the place, and she is. A big help for me when it comes to training and information. I've I've reached out to her all the time if I have a code issue. All right, Michael, how about you? You got to have some good stories for us. Oh yes, uh, what amazed me is uh, so Anahis Gym is under renovation uh, for robotics, uh, and it just does it. It amazed me that you still have buildings here on UT that use the old bit and barrel skeleton. So I made sure that uh, one of the gentlemen from PMCS cut one out of one door before they renovated that building because it was just amazing that we have uh, a key that probably was manufactured 100 years ago, (laughs) you know, and and locks that were manufactured 100 years ago. Um, The going out on projects and rekeys is one thing, but uh, what amazes me here is. some of the people and, um, and and getting to work with all these different people and the stories uh, of just here within locks and keys. There is a, a few things here in our lobby that someone made out of keys and it's called the OP Corral. And, and yeah, and, and, and people actually come to this lobby uh, that are alumni or, or what have you just to take pictures of we're just here to take describe it describe it for us so it's like a uh, it's like a horse corral it has a uh, a windmill in one corner um an arch on the top of a, a barbed wire fence and then the cows and the horses and the cowboys are all made out of cut keys and it's about how big i mean i've seen it but i want oh you to... yeah it's about uh, uh a foot and a half deep, two feet wide, and the tallest structure sits about 10 inches high. It's really a piece of art. It is. It's a piece of art. And that's why, um, um, I don't know if you're aware, they're relocating. It. And, I didn't uh, know that. No. Where are you going? Yeah. So uh, they're going to, uh, they're trying to put us in a small building behind CPE. Oh, wow. Um, because the service building is going to come down in, about, in a year or two. Yeah. 
And um, I told them that they have to build a display case within the front counter to house the Oki Corral. The Oki Corral. Why is yes. it coming down? Do you know, just uh, it means a space? Engineering. Yeah. Uh, it's part of the engineering uh, layout. Oh, gotcha. So they're going to have another engineering. The School of Engineering, you mean? Yes, correct. Yeah. 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 Cockerel. Yeah. Well, that, you know, that's something to think about, too. You know, you guys have talked about the historical significance of so much that you do and recognizing it. I think sometimes that's overlooked, you know, because we're constantly building and we will constantly be building. And uh, it's nice that, you know, you're able to appreciate that in the work that you do. We have the first key machine that was ever here oh, still wow. in working order and on the so how old yeah it was uh manufactured i believe in 1938 yeah my group even redid the doors that are on michael's office the front doors just so they could still have the same look we redid the wood doors that are there let's talk a little bit about the people that you work with and you work for so we're a small group we don't really work together on projects we all have our own things mm-hmm but if we need help, if we need some sort of collaboration, we will work together on to figure out how things are done because everybody has their own specialties. Like everybody on my team, if they have a door question, they come to me. If I have an electric question, I have somebody to go to. If I have a data question, I have somebody to go to. If I have a plumbing or HVAC question, I have somebody to go to. So we all have that within our team. Now, upstairs in the project manager side, we have a ton of people up there with different specialties. But they all come to me when it comes to door stuff. And then if I have a question regarding something with them, I'll go to them. And it's just we have a – in this group down here because we have all of our shops and everything. We are one of the larger groups because of all the shop personnel. But we can go to anybody in our groups and talk to them and find out things and figure out, okay, how is this going to get done? What can you help me with here? Do you have a better idea? I see things one way, and then I'll have a carpenter or an electrician goes – I didn't think about that, but we could do this to work, make that work this way. And and it works out in the end. What about your, your customers? A lot of times, especially with the bigger projects, if I'm in a meeting or my brother's in a meeting, they'll just look at the architect or the project manager and say, whatever the cost of brothers want, give it to them. Because they know if we don't get what we want now, then when the project's complete and the stuff doesn't work, then the client has to pay even more to get it fixed. Mm-hmm. So, and this happens the same thing with the general contractors that are on some of these big projects right now. When I come in and do my final walk and do my inspection, a lot of times you'll see if the installer's there, they walk the other direction. They don't want to be there when I'm doing my inspection to see all the stuff <laughs> they've done wrong. So now we're getting them to invite me early to do inspections on certain things like fire rated door frames. Because the last thing you want to have to do is rip out a door frame after the building's already built. Because we did that at the Gates-Dale complex. We, <laughs> one door all the way up had to be moved over one and a half inches to meet a certain requirement. And this is all stuff that was in their drawings. So they had all this stuff done. But when they put it in, they didn't think about that one and a half inch when they added this extra sheetrock. Or I had a building over at UTA where they put in a piece of stained plywood on the wall just to make it look nice. 
I was like, well, you just took an inch off your wall, so now you don't have that 18 inches of clearance. So now you're going to spend $3,000 for an automatic operator, or you're going to pull off that piece of plywood and paint your wall. <laughs> they ended up spending the $3,000 for the operator on three doors. So, Wow. Wow. So tell tell me a little bit more, Michael, about the the people in your your group. How many people do you oversee? Right now, I oversee ten. Um, and okay. uh, what's great is what I what I like to do is I like to bring people into this industry that are not involved in this industry. Of course, locksmith is a trade that you of course you want that qualification. But as far as uh, the work control specialist, people that work the front counter. Um, student workers that uh, uh, from uh, the uh, ULN program. It, it's just great to bring them in and just pique their interest into this world of keys. Um, and, uh, but we like to make sure that all these people that are here have the ability to take that experience and, and, and apply it to something else if needed. The greatest find I had lately is uh, I, my crew leader, is a gentleman from Colorado and he worked at the Denver International Airport. And to grab him and to get him into this university school environment, which is totally different. And uh, in a year where we're developing every type of key system um, that is imaginable um, for the stadium, for a new engineering building, for the School of Engineering, rekeying the entire law school for the School of Law. So, so big rekeys, new systems, expanding existing systems. So he's learning more than most people in this industry learn in 10 years, all within 18 months. Our locksmiths, we have some that have been here for 30 years and some that uh, have only been in the industry for a couple years. And to see them interact and teach each other uh, stuff with these old locks or with new systems, it, it's kind of fun. Yeah, we have all locks of life here. Um, and the nice thing about locks and keys is not only we're a customer service counter and we're involved in the maintenance end of it, we're involved in the construction, the design, um, and uh, almost every aspect. So we get to deal with all the departments in all kinds of different situations. So it's, it's kind of fun. Are you, looking, are you looking forward to the move or not so much? I'm looking forward to the move because uh we get to stay on campus so that's what i'm looking forward to uh and hopefully we'll get to uh we're in the design phase so as long as we can capture the same character that this uh, current location has i just don't want it to be a working building that houses everything that we need to perform our duties efficiently but i want it to have that same feel i want the customers to have the same experience so, so we actually, within the design, from the front counter where the lock shop is, we're going to put a, um, a pneumatic tube that is see-through so that people can see the tube shoot up across the ceiling into the lock shop. So, and, and that with a display case and an open concept where every wall has a window so they can still see the lock retriever, where the keys are kept. So I want, to, I want that whole experience. Um, to still carry on uh, with the tradition that we've had over the last 40 years or so. Richard, what are you looking forward to for in terms of your job or the, what 
UT is going through? What's what's on the horizon? We're working on doing security hardware on the full perimeter of every building in the future so that we can actually secure campus in a moment's notice, secure every building. I mean, it's already mandatory on all newer buildings. We're working it out on the older buildings. And then with the advancement of some of the hardware, which making it easier installation, easier maintenance on some of the newer hardware, trying to keep the campus safe and secure, um, both not only for, you know, criminal acts and stuff or like security, but also with uh, fire code, you know, making sure all the fire rated doors and all that are done right. Um, and this is all part of our inspection process when we inspect the new buildings to try and get things done right. Now, when it's time for you to finally turn in your keys and head <laughs> off into the, the sunset, what are you going to look back on fondly or, or miss about the university and, and your what you do for the university? Well, considering that's going to be a long time from now before I get to retire, um, looking back at things that I did that stopped bad things from happening. When we had an incident on campus and a lot of buildings were able to secure themselves, and I, I heard a lot of people talking about, we were so glad we were able to do this with our door. And I just, it made me feel good. It's like, well, that was my project. I did that. And I see that a lot when I walk around campus. I can go, we built that door. We did this. And I can just see a lot of things on campus everywhere I go and go on. I was part of that. That's nice. Michael, are you going to are you going to miss the old locks and keys building when it's gone? Yes, definitely. I'm going to miss it. What will you look back on in a in a fond way, or will you miss about working at UT? Well, I like I like the challenges here, and I, I like the uh, community. I mean, a, a university has got to be the most challenging thing for someone in our industry because. With Richard, he has to think of fire egress, ADA access, making sure everything's secure, but at the same time making uh, it accessible. And with with this, it's it's got to be an open environment so everybody can get everywhere they want to go, not where they need to go, but where they want to go. But at the same time, protecting all those assets, protecting all those people, and. Uh, I mean, I have a I have a forty year plan, and my goal is to, uh, when I do get to retire in the next uh, fifteen to twenty years, is that that plan continues, and that um, I was able to do everything I set out to do before I leave. Well, wow, that's really interesting. So your plan um, will go on beyond your tenure here at UT. Yes. Good. Okay. Last question for each of you. I'll start with you, Michael. So why? Should I, why would I love what you do? Uh, it's just, I mean, come on, it's keys. Who doesn't have a key? I mean, <laughs> I mean, uh, I hate to use the old pun, but um, it, the, it opens the doors to great possibilities, right? I mean, we get to meet people every day of all walks of life. And, and like you said before, in some of the most pivotal moments of their life and um and not only seeing their workspaces where they work what they do um you just can't you can't be in an industry like this to where you aren't meeting everybody i mean students come here for engineering um in the school of engineering they might be only in that one area 
Um, you have shop shops that just cater to certain parts of the university. We get to see it all, and we, we, we love that. That's great. Richard, how about you? Why should I love what you do? What I do isn't easy, but it's fun. And there's always something to do. I never get bored. I can, I always have projects. I mean, I have at one point in time, I was up to 150 projects at one time that I was working on. So I'll have projects that are in planning and design. Uh, they're actually working on waiting for estimates, but I had 150 projects uh, assigned to me. So you're always busy. You always have something to do, but yet you can leave work at work. When I get done with work, there's no stressing about it. I go home, I come back, I'll work on it the next day. Even though there's a lot of stuff dealing with safety and security, it's nothing that's going to weigh on your mind when you leave because you know that you're doing what needs to be done. And if people are listening to you, everything's going to work out fine. Yeah, you're always learning too. As you said in the beginning, that it's constantly a learning process, always growing. And it's it's creative and you know logical, always problem solving too. Yes. Well, that's what I liked about the SEPTED. When I did that training, I was working with law enforcement agencies, firearm agencies, um, school districts, cities from all over the country regarding target hardening, um, making places safer, making residential areas safer just by how you build it and design it. I mean, there was so much stuff we did and we learned stuff from so many people around the country. It, it was just, it was a great thing to learn. And that's what I love. There's always new stuff coming up to learn. So it's been really fun, you guys. I appreciate your time and I appreciate everything you do for the university. Well, thank you. This was fun. Thanks, guys. I'll be in touch. Make Me Love What You Do is a podcast made possible by a partnership between UT's Learning and Development Office and LAITS Development Studio. If you like what you hear, remember to subscribe for new episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to share with friends, coworkers, and family so they can hear about the great things we do at the University of Texas. Thank you.